Hello folks. In this interview, I asked the staff members of my local video rental store, Viva Video, to answer a prompt and a question. And those are to describe a life event that changed you and how it changed you. And if you turned that event into a film, who would you want to co-direct it with and why? So what about this film director's storytelling, their aesthetic, their pacing is suited to tell your story? (laughs) (laughs) Viva Video is located in Ardmore, Pennsylvania, which is a Philadelphia suburb. And I've had such a positive experience there because I'm the type of person who goes to a restaurant and asks the waiter for their recommendation. And more often than not, they're very helpful. But sometimes, especially outside of the US, the waiter looks at me like I'm crazy and they're just like, I don't know what to recommend. What do you like? And I usually say, oh, I'll have whatever your favorite thing is. And they're just frustrated. But that is not my experience at Viva Video because I can ask for something as generic as a comedy and the staff just lists the top three things that come to their head and their choices are always amazing. I appreciate that because even though I love movies, I'm not a knowledgeable cinephile in any way and they're still willing to help me. And good news, now you can listen to the Cafe Ribbit podcast on Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. If you can make the time, I would really appreciate you writing a review. That would be awesome. And last thing, if you want to contribute your own written answers to this prompt and question, you can email me your written answers at jack. J-A-C-K at caferibbit.com and I'll very likely post them on the blog post. I would love to hear from you. Ribbit. I'm going to introduce each guest musically. Susan is a volunteer at Viva Video. Susan Can you describe a life event that changed you and how it changed you? Okay. Um, I'm 74 years old, so there have been many life events that have affected me. But over the time period, because I've never been married and I've never had children and I have not much in the way of extended family, I've discovered that the thing that's the most important for me is to understand that I need to make manufactured or artificial or non-traditional families for myself. Mm. And recently, the most striking example of that was uh, the filming of the sci-fi television pilot at Viva Video. We had a crew of about 20 people filming this pilot television episode, 
And there are about 20 of us there at any time, actors or participants in the filming. And so there were 40 people in the store at any one time creating a sci-fi late night television show. And just to clarify for listeners, sci-fi, the TV channel, not the genre. Yes. And the pilot did air nationally, so it was very exciting for all of us. But it did not devolve into a television series, which we sort of hoped. But the feeling of 40 people at any one time all working together on a creative project was just so wonderful. And it was as if I suddenly had a family of 40 people. And everybody was excited about what they were doing. And we all shared our love of film, of filmmaking, and of the movies in general. The process continues on a daily basis at Viva, which is why I love being there as a volunteer, um, because I love sharing enjoyment of film with the customers and with the staff. And I have learned so much by doing this. Uh, When I first started out, I was pretty much an art house person. That's pretty much the kind of films that I gravitated toward. And I was very afraid of horror films because I thought creepy things were in my closet. (laughs) And I would have bad dreams and it would be awful. So for many years of my life, I avoided those. But there's some big horror film fans at Viva And slowly they seduced me into liking (laughs) horror films. And now I will watch anything. I also was very briefly, for six seconds exactly, in a documentary short that was made about Viva Video. Ah. And that was also fun, too. Mm -hmm. And that did very well. It made it into five film festivals. Oh, I got to see that. Well, the... Second part of this prompt is about if you made the event into a film. So I think this will become very meta. Yes, I got it. (laughs) So if you made the event into a film, which film director would you want to co-direct it with and why? I've put a lot of thought into this and I thought of different directors and different styles. But I came down on the Japanese director, Kora Eda, and particularly his movie Shoplifters, which won the Palme d'Or, the top prize at Cannes in 2018. And the reason I selected that film is because it is about a non-traditional manufactured family. Mm. It's about a group of people who appear to be a family, but it turns out they're really not related to each other at all. And yet they form a family unit that in many ways is more functional and more caring than many actual families are. Mm. I like Coretta's movies very much. I've seen practically all the ones that have been released in this country. Um, He has a very uh, subdued and understated and quiet style, which appeals to me very much. Uh, He has a very good sense of character. He picks exactly the right actors for the characters. Mm -hmm. 
he has a lyrical sensibility, which I really think is really lovely and moving. And he has a kind of uh, quirky sense of humor. And that's difficult because I think sense of humor is so culturally bound and so personally bound. And it's often something that doesn't translate from one person to another or one culture to another, but his sense of humor completely translates to me. Um, He's made a number of films. There's one film, the first film I ever saw him direct was a film called Afterlife. And actually it's about practically the same thing that your questions are about. I don't know if you've ever seen that film or not, have you? No, I haven't. Okay, well, the premise of the film, and it's a very low-budget film, is that it takes place in something that looks like a kind of a rundown elementary school in Japan. And through the doorway waft a group of people, and it turns out that they've all died, and they're inhabiting a kind of a waiting space after death. And what happens is the staff of this institution tells them that they must pick one event from their life that has a lot of meaning to them, and that the staff will create a little movie about that one event, which then they will live with for all eternity. That is a crazy coincidence. Oh my goodness. (laughs) (laughs) So I wondered if you knew that film because it's so much reflective of exactly the questions that you asked. And I really gravitated towards the questions that you asked because, um, I think those questions are so meaningful. And often, I think the events that have the most meaning for us in our life are not the big, kind of flashy events, Mm -hmm. but often just a small moment that really can make a change in how you see yourself and the world. And I think especially the small moments of meeting other people, like you're describing, because... Yeah, we just met two days ago by chance in the store. I don't think I had seen you before, but you were sitting down next to Brian and you kind of looked like you were behind the desk, but kind of in front of it. I was like, hmm, does she work here? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm in a kind of a, maybe I'm in a kind of waiting space between life and death at Viva Video where I don't exactly fit in to either category. The reason I don't actually work there is they have very antiquated computers, and I'm one of these older people that's terribly technologically challenged, Mm. and their antiquated computers are way beyond my technological ability. Mm -hmm. So um, I can do other things in the store. I've done everything from mopping the floor to helping customers to peeling labels to rearranging shelves, Mm -hmm. and I've done a little bit of everything. But the most enjoyable thing for me is the contact with the people, the conversations with customers and the conversations with the staff. And I've 
hugely enlarged my film knowledge mm-hmm. over the past, I'd say, four years. I've probably tripled or quadrupled my film knowledge, and I was pretty good before. And now I am averaging seeing about 300 movies a year. Wow. So The cool. only trouble is if you're old like I am, you can't remember <laughs> a lot of them. <laughs> but I remember the ones that really have impact. Yeah. Can you talk more about creating a family? Because I'm having a flashback of when I used to go to church mm-hmm. and I heard an interesting interpretation of a Bible passage, which was that friends are somehow more important or in some aspects more important than your family because you choose them. Exactly. Um, I'm lucky that in some ways my family was a good family for me to be in. My parents were tremendously arts-oriented. They loved all the kinds of arts. In fact, my father kept a list of all the plays and movies that he saw, and he rated each one Mm. of them. And I still have that list. And he was born in 1899. Oh, my goodness. Wow. Yeah. So that's pretty amazing. And so I grew up in a family where appreciation of the arts was very important. Um, But I've always gravitated to people who have those arts interests. And I think, you know, you do choose making the choice of who you want to be with. Um, does make an enormous difference. And also, um, the opposite, in a sense, can be true because if you choose people outside of your family, you can meet people who are from very different social backgrounds than you are and ethnic backgrounds than you are, and you can learn a lot that way, too. Mm-hmm. And it's one of the things that I think film really does. It can take you to experiences, to people, to places that you don't inhabit. And you may not get the full feeling of what it would be like to be from those cultures, but you get a sense Mm -hmm. of what that is. And for me, the people at at Viva Video, um, one of the things they do for me is they keep me younger. Hmm. Um, Many of the people there are young. The staff are all millennials. And so that keeps me um, in a younger place in my life. Um, I sort of learn from them what's going on. They may think I'm some kind of old fart, but but they put up with me, I think. It keeps me a little more relevant than I might be otherwise, particularly since I've never had children. Yeah. I resonate with what you're saying about how watching film can transport you to a different culture. And I'm excited really to start for the first time when we're able to do it, to start watching movies with people. Because I don't just mean at a movie theater, but with a group of friends like the Viva Video staff who are dedicated to talking about it afterwards. Because movie watching can be transporting to a different culture, but also 
uh, lonesome if you're just by yourself on the couch. That's right. In fact, you know, if you see a movie that is really exciting to you, I don't know if you're like me, but I can't wait to talk to yeah. somebody about it. It's just, <laughs> it's just a bad desire. Oh, you've got to hear about what I just saw, and then I can't wait for them to see it so we can further discuss it. Mm-hmm. And actually, I live in a retirement community, and I've run a film series here at the retirement community. And what I do is I make a handout, which I give well ahead of, showing the film. I do a 10 minute introduction to the film. I show the film and I run a discussion afterwards. Oh, could you send me, uh, if you're preparing pamphlets, like a picture or a scan, I would love to include that in the blog post. Okay. I'll see what I can do. Well, those were excellent answers and it was really fun talking. I look forward to including you in my extended family at Viva Video. Yes, please. And you and mine. (laughs) Okay, great. Miguel is the owner of Viva Video. Miguel, we'll start off with the first part of the prompt, which is describe a life event that changed you and how it changed you. There's a, there's a few, few different ones. The main one, I'd say, would it'd probably be like, you know, I don't know, maybe it's cheesy, but like, you know, meeting my wife or whatever. Yeah. And it wasn't like, it's not like it's a huge event. It's funny, like, I remember the first time we met, which is some months before we we actually, like, really interacted. But mm-hmm. I went to a Man or Astro Man concert in college. It was like freshman year out in, in Philly. It was like one of my first trips out from college to like the city or whatever, Mm -hmm. um, which was exciting. And on the way back, there was, you know, a a nice woman on on the train that my (laughs) friend kept on striking conversations up with. Like I was trying to embarrass me is in the you're learning that she was like a complete major and you know, spoke spoke Spanish and that, but I I'm I'm from Guatemala, so I speak Spanish. So he was just trying to get us to talk, but I was, I don't know, I was not not particularly interested in definitely like that are too shy or embarrassed to, to like, you know, chat up a girl on a train or something. Right. Um, so it wasn't actually like a particularly interesting interaction so much and didn't really like lead that. I don't think that either of us knew each other's names or, or, or anything. We then like more met a, a ton of not for credit class on, uh, on bad horror movies. And she took my class cause she was, um, doing her her complete thesis on night of living dead and this movie called chronos oh wow and i mean and then we and we we fell in love over uh, over you know silly horror movies and stuff um, so how many years later was this after the train that wasn't years the show i think was in september and i think this would have been like january or february probably mm-hmm. february is when the, the class would have would have started but it wasn't until like i don't know years later that we realized like that that we had met on this train that moment seems somewhat significant for me. I don't know that it would totally. be to anybody else, but but yeah, obviously a lot of my life has changed by by having uh, a wonderful, lovely, lovely partner in life. You know, mm-hmm. the other big one would be the birth of our son Ash, our first first child. She had the baby at, at the the Bryn Mawr Birth Center, which is like a nurse midwife run run mm-hmm. place. Mm-hmm. 
and it can it, it can feel a little hippy dippy or something, but I don't know. I'm I'm really down with their their whole deal. They they basically like pregnancy and a, a lot of healthcare is treated as like a disease basically in the hospital, you know. Mm. And the birth center that that birth center and other birth centers, I guess, are sort of the opposite view of it. It being a natural process that should be treated as such. You know, you should be prepared to to need you know emergency medical treatment should that arise, but by and large, you know, babies have been being had since the first humans were <laughs> around, and yeah. um, and the the approach that's that's taken a, across the the spectrum isn't you know doesn't seem like the right approach. And, I've heard you know, similar to, things about end of life care, like you should be end end of life care yeah, is so weird, yeah, com- comforting people as much as possible rather than surrounding them with white walls and equipment. Yeah, no, beeping definitely. around them. So few people are ready for it mm-hmm. that people want all that stuff going on around them a lot of the time just because they're not ready to let go. Or actually, or more often, like their families are not ready to let go. Because mm. definitely something I see a lot at the at the hospital. You know, there's like <laughs> like there's very frequent comments from from us like like Oh my god, if my family did this to me, I would <laughs> I would come back and haunt them. <laughs> you know, like, like, please just let me go. I don't. <laughs> I, I, yeah. So, so the reason I, I decided to become a nurse was because I was like so impressed with the nurse midwives that that ran it and just how amazing like the experience with Percy having Ash was. And, and I mean, of course, the birth of your kid is gonna it's gonna be notable basically no matter what. But it's still like I don't know it made an impression on me. And I was working at a at TLA before this was back when when TLA was around instead of uh, Viva. Just to clarify for people, that's TLA Video, yeah, uh, which Miguel bought the inventory for to start Viva. Exactly. Yeah, they were like a nice, uh, like a wonderful uh, independent video store chain in the Philly area. And so I worked at the person I actually both worked at was um, was the the last one that they closed in in Bryn Mawr. And when they closed, yeah, I bought as much of the inventory as I could afford. Mm-hmm. And actually, when when Ash was born, I remember Brian worked with with us there for Viva, and I remember him declaring uh, Ash to be uh, the first baby of of, of pure blood TLA, <laughs> <laughs> the, the first yeah, the first TLA pure blood baby. But so in any case, I think by the time that Ash was born, I was maybe a year and a half out from where TLA closed that store. I mean, I was pretty aware that it was gonna gonna happen mm-hmm. i mean although i wanted to to run my own store i also knew i needed to be planning otherwise so it sort of happened at a moment when i was you know i, mean, I was like oh, you know what nursing i think would would be something i would be good at and mm-hmm. that i think that i'd like to do i'd never you know it'd always been very difficult like thinking like i don't know i feel like it seems so easy for some people to figure out what they like to do a job that's i didn't realize like nursing is a job i'd like to do until i was like in my 30s <laughs> basically yeah. It's really interesting when I hear about people who want to go into nursing or a caring profession, just because mm-hmm. I've heard this really helpful switch in thinking when you're worrying about like, uh, what job am I best suited for? Um, what would I enjoy most? And the question to flip your thinking is, who can you help the most? based on your skills based on your demeanor like i can see clearly Mm. why you would be an amazing nurse just 
how you interact oh, with customers and people. You, so, yeah. yeah, I feel like I, it would have been nice if I like like approaching the 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 what you want to do question with that. I don't know. It seems really helpful. I never, I, I, no, nobody ever gave me the hint to think about it that way. Um, <laughs> so, 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 yeah, but yeah, no, but and it was definitely, and it was really like working at the store that, that made me, it was like I, I wanted to do something that made me feel like, like I feel working, working the counter and talking to people and being part of the community and everything. And I just sort of like never considered nursing. And then, then like as I started thinking about after having this wonderful experience there at the birth center the direction of, of my life changed a lot from that. So. Yeah. So if you combine these events into a film, who would you want to co-direct it with and why? Co-direct? Oh, am I forced to direct it with them? Or? I wrote co-direct because I think you should definitely be on set. <laughs> okay. okay. Maybe I can make, you know, like the appeal to me would be that I want to see my life portrayed in their through their eyes, you know, through their mm -hmm. vision. So like I'd write the script, maybe I could hang out and be like, no, 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 this is how, <laughs> how it went down or something. Yeah, as little intrusion as you want. Okay, cool, good. I, I thought of several, a few directors. Wong Kar Wai, I love his movies a ton and I would just like to look like as cool as possible <laughs> and, and have my world look as cool as possible. So I'd probably say like, like and, and I'll be, I'll also be a little, little prima donnaish. I don't just want Wong Kar Wai. I want Chris Doyle to be the director of photography for it, and I want them to be doing it between like 1994 and 2000 when they were really at their, at their peak. Okay, you you have to give context. Describe uh, who they are. And oh, sure, What their sure. style is, because I have no idea. Oh, okay, yeah, no, no, totally. So Wong Kar Wai is a Hong Kong director that started doing things in the early 90s. I think he might have done something in the late 80s. He made, I guess, the movies that people most know, probably uh, In the Mood for Love. It was like sort of his, his classiest picture. It's really wonderful. I, I prefer his sort of more loose stuff from a little bit earlier, but um, In the Mood for Love is maybe his most famous one. If not, possibly this one, Chunking Express, that's just the best. Um, but Chunking Express and Fallen Angels and like the movies in like the period that I particularly love, like Happy Together, Days of Being Wild. There are all these movies he made with with this dude Chris Chris Doyle as the DP. And they have like a look like really not like any other. Like they flew with aspect ratios throughout the movies, um, with film stocks and sort of film speeds. So like they, they look like avant-garde in some degree in that like, you know, usually there's a like a set visual style or something. Mm -hmm. And this one like seems like it's some, so changing a little bit like off the cuff and, and those uh, in the mood for love doesn't really do that now and it's definitely has a more classic look and it stays looking classic throughout and it's, and it's a wonderful wonderful movie that one is like uh like a sort of tale of of love never really coming to fruition or something in i think in shanghai back in the i don't know 50s or something like that um and particularly with like chunking express and like fallen angels like there's sort of three stories that don't really intersect they sort of have little little bits that cross over from one to the other but not it's like the point of it is not like watch all these crescendo into something mm -hmm. so i think i like that style also for a biographical movie in that like i, I don't think there is a point to miguel gomez <laughs> necessarily you know <laughs> i mean like it's, it's a, a series of of experiences that you know i don't know i've I've gotten something out of I, I, I so like I mean I don't know that anybody else needs to watch a story about me to tell you the truth. Also, that's the other tough part to this. But yeah, it's funny but, uh, to listen because 
I think that style of directing where multiple stories don't intersect would fit mm-hmm. meeting your wife on the train and nothing panned out immediately, but you did get lucky in the end, but it didn't kind of sound like it was this hero's journey to like convince her to marry you. It would just happen. It totally. It, exactly. And like, and I feel like, and like the moment on the train, like, I mean, it's, it's insignificant. There's no reason like that wasn't part of why we ever got together. It was, mm-hmm. Like, it's just funny to have like this sort of interaction with somebody that then becomes so very meaningful to you, you know, later in life. Yeah. Um, and so, so yeah, so that's definitely, I think, like, I don't know. I think I, I I would enjoy that style for that. I think as when you ask like when you ask the those prompts, I was definitely like, I don't know. I don't know that any of my events. I was it was tough to think like, is, <laughs> do, do I consider my life boring? <laughs> do I consider is is everybody's life boring? Like like too boring <laughs> to consider a, a movie or or a fodder for a movie? I don't know. But it's interesting because like, you probably would if you weren't thinking about yourself, you would probably really value all the movies that are quote unquote quote about boring people. Yeah. Like, I mean, I don't like dramas. So like, I don't like things that are like really overwrought with mm-hmm. like emotional heavy action. I feel like that's, that's just not how I experience things so much. Mm-hmm. Like I like that sort of low key type stuff for movies about life. I mean, I love horror movies and stuff, you know, probably like what I love most, but like, I feel like I don't, consider those in the those sort of in in any sort of realm of you know reality or whatever so yeah on the blog post you'll find a list of the directors that the interviewees chose as well as movies they mentioned and if your streaming service has a show notes section i'll link to the blog post in there dan is a video clerk the lead video clerk at Viva Video. The first part of the prompt is describe a life event that changed you and how it changed you. Well, I, I mean, I feel like my answer may be a little mundane, but I would probably say it was maybe uh, the divorce of my parents, which would have mm. occurred when I was 12. Um, so 2002, uh, to be precise, I would have learned about it, I believe, in June of that year, and it was solidified by the end of the summer. Um, and I think part of it is it's kind of twofold because it changed me in the moment. And then it is an event that, you know, through reflection, I can see how I have grown in relation to how I respond to it to this day. Mm-hmm. In the moment, you know, it was one of those things where I kind of encourage myself to kind of grow up um maybe a bit prematurely but at least you know figure out how to take some responsibility for myself uh partly just because i would be living um in the case i would be living with my father and he would be working all day because he worked in baltimore at that time and he would commute daily and you know i had you know at least look out for myself in some in some form you know he he you know obviously put the roof over my head which i was very, very grateful for, uh, particularly in hindsight. Were you living in Philadelphia at that point? Yes, I, I was living uh, out in, uh, not in the city, but out in the suburbs in the Valley Forge area, okay. which was a good place to grow up, particularly in the sense that there was, you know, there were neighborhoods, but there was also the park there. So there were great spaces to meditate or at least to go around and really sort of take in nature, which I feel like was 
that kind of solitude was something um, like engaging in sort of mindfulness in those spaces was very much something that helped me at least put me at ease in the moment um, mm -hmm. when this was happening. And also, you know, I found, you know, I'd been very serious about movies for at least three years at that point. Um, I would say that my ninth birthday was around the time that I started actually keeping journals of uh wow. everything that i was watching oh my gosh. so you know that that kind of started to become an activity that in the wake of the divorce that i very much dove into partly in the moment it was because it served as an escapist a sort of escapist activity um and because you know when you're 12 years old you know how do you process the divorce other than sort of uh the initial kind of like immediate trauma that kind of gives way to a certain ambivalence and uh down the road kind of like had some like kind of resentment i would say mm -hmm. but the movie watching you know that and sort of my love of reading at that time like i really felt felt that in the wake of the divorce though it really gave me a chance to really shape myself in terms of like what were my real interests you know what was it that i was passionate about you know what can i what can i do in this time in seventh grade and eighth grade yeah. to really sort of find, you know, what it is that I feel is my purpose in life. And of course there were things that I feel like I may have sacrificed in the moment too much in the sense of like looking back on it now, I kind of wish I'd allowed myself to be a kid a bit. What's interesting is that now I can sort of look back at my parents and see, you know, how, you know, they weren't people that I should be angry at. You know, they were, they were human beings who had, problems and demons and were at the time they would have been in their thirties, early forties. And they were at points in their lives where I feel like they may have figured that they didn't really, weren't able to accomplish everything that they wanted to. And in addition to sort of the marriage not working out, it's best to part the ways so that you can at least fulfill, if not your absolute dreams, at least come into a better, come into a better being of yourself. And I feel like it took me a long time, at least until my mid twenties to really think about it in that sense and like mm. really kind of empathize with that decision and really seeing how it was very much for the best for both of them. Right. And I just mentioned that because I know your question was primarily how did it change me in the moment, but I feel like the event itself has not changed, but it's just the way that I've thought about it has. And I can really see at least some sense of maturing in myself over the years i still have a lot of uh maturing to go through <laughs> as as just a brief tangent to uh sort of like <laughs> stun the <laughs> listeners here uh i i came to movie like sort of adult uh not, not adult not in the not in the pornographic sense but adult is an r-rated movies at a fairly young age because uh, we had kind of a, a rule in our house which was you can watch the movie but you have to tell us exactly how it is respond to it if you were scared why do you think you were scared and i feel like if i could answer those questions the parents tended to think that you know it at least indicated that i was aware that a it was a movie and it wasn't going to hurt me and mm -hmm. then i was at least thinking about how how it's impacting me so i'm not just absorbing it whole like you know wholesale right um, but yeah like i saw i saw dress to kill and like blue velvet when i was nine years old oh i saw gosh uh, I didn't see Clockwork until I was 13. I was actively prevented from watching that. Um, Even Blue was, Velvet, though. My dad saw Blue Velvet. He saw it with a friend 
I guess when they were in their late 20s or early 30s. And once the credits rolled in the theater, my dad and his friend turned towards each other. And his friend asked, what'd you think? And my dad said, I loved that. And his friend <laughs> said, you're sick. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, a, it's, I mean, it's a very distressing movie. I mean, and I watched, I watched it again about two years ago. And I mean, it holds up very strong. Yeah. Almost, uh, like, gosh, now 35 years later at this point. So that was a large story. It wasn't necessarily an event, but if you created it into a film, which film director would you want to co-direct it with and why? This is a tough question to answer because I feel like any answer I have uh, comes with a slight, uh, dare I say, narcissistic undercurrent to it. Part of it, the tough thing for me is I'm like, what is it about my story that would interest anybody apart from myself? Um mm-hmm. So I would, I would hire, or at least I would ask, there are two directors I came up with and I couldn't decide one or the other. So I'm going to name both of them. Okay. I wanted to pick directors who would be able to at least interrogate, if not entirely reframe my experience so that I would be able to get some insight out of it. In addition to maybe making it more accessible or of interest to a larger audience and, The first one I came up with is uh, the Japanese filmmaker or creative, I should say, Hideaki Anno, who I guess here in America is probably best known for his anime, Neon Genesis Evangelion. I'd be very curious what he would make of it because he's incredibly astute when it comes to psychology, particularly adolescent psychology. Mm -hmm. Um, Evangelion, the anime, is, is ostensibly about giant robots fighting <laughs> angels, but it's really about adolescent depression and emotional neglect and basically a circuit family of people who are all content living in the shadow of demons from their past. And you know, basically it could all use a good trip to the therapist and a hug. I feel like generally like Anno just, he has a really really clear-eyed sense of human psychology even when he's working in 2d animation and he has also a really visionary sense of cinema i mean he, his his actual like films be at the end of evangelion or a or a handy cam movie he made called love and pop at 98 like really don't look like much else that i've seen from around that time they they tend to really play with sort of perceptions of reality and they all have a really like lived in introspection to them. And I feel like he's also someone who like, because the, the both Evangelion and Love and Pop, these movies are all very much about adolescence to a certain extent. I feel like he treats adolescence with a gravitas and seriousness that I feel like it, it deserves to be treated as, you know, often in American movies, we love to sort of, kind of sugarcoat the kid experience um mm. and part of it's just you know get people in touch with the nostalgia of their youth or remember the good times with the rose tinted glasses on mm. the second one i had was claire denis who is one of my favorite filmmakers period she's a french filmmaker people in the, who love the art house scene tend to really like her movies she's probably best known after high life for movies like beau Travail, which is amazing 
uh, neo-colonialist reworking of Billy Budd, the Herman Melville story. Hmm. But yeah, obviously Trouble Every Day is another big one for her. She made a really great movie called Friday Night, which is kind of almost like a sensory experience uh, involving a, a woman driving home, I believe, from work. And then she just decides to pursue a one-night stand. Like, all of her movies have this really tactile aesthetic, like this really like palpable visual style. Uh, like you feel like you could like the images have such texture that if you I almost like as silly as it sounds, I feel like if you reach it out your hand, you feel like you could actually like feel the screen, like actually yeah. feel. Or you're the in the car with her. Yeah, absolutely. And th- there's a lot of intimacy and not just in terms of intimacy and sex, but in terms of closeness of the camera to the subject. And she finds a way to like almost abstractify human faces like getting up close to the the contours of the chin or just like making you look at be it a face or like an everyday object that is familiar and find a way to defamiliarize it. Like she just has a really interesting abstract style. And I feel like if she took, looked at the divorce story, I feel like she would probably not be interested in the narrative so much as what she could do with giving a sensory experience, be it a subjective one or an emotional one. And I feel like that would potentially be interesting. But of course, as I said, you know, I would definitely want either of these directors or any director period, if, if this movie had to be made, if it had to be made, I'm just going to emphasize <laughs> that. Um, I, I would, I would want to make sure that it was basically kind of taken out of my hands in terms of like, like I've written it and you can do what you want. And I just, I would really want it to be completely reframed in general. Right. Is there an image from your childhood that flashes into your head where you would think that Claire Denis could really exploit the texture of it, like you were saying, or abstract it? Yes. I have a very vivid memory of running my hand through a bathrobe in... I I know I woke up in the morning and it was kind of just there. And I, for some reason, just stopped for a moment and kind of became fixated on it. I believe it was, it was my bathrobe, but it was kind of misplaced, I think. I don't know what happened. My guess is either the cat got to it or maybe you know, it fell out of the laundry hamper, but it was in there. And I just remember, like, maybe not caressing, but at least kind of like almost like ironing or kneading it mm. with uh, my hand. And I feel like touch and human contact or at least contact with inanimate objects is definitely something that she tends to fixate on in some of her movies. And I feel like that would be an image that would maybe be kind of a master image for, uh, if not the whole movie, at least for a certain part of it. (laughs) Another image that I do remember that I'll just give as a freebie was looking at the sun through a hole in a leaf is one that I remember as a kid. I actually feel like the leaf image would be more suited to Anno. But no, I I, th- I think Denis could probably do something like that as well. Because I mean, as silly as it sounds, like I, I really feel like she can do anything, frankly. Brian is the assistant manager at Viva Video. Oh, now I'm <laughs> now I'm just thinking about Dwight Schrute and his frustration with being assistant to the manager. <laughs> I'm glad you're not that, Brian. 
The first part of the prompt is to describe a life event that changed you and how it changed you. So I, I, I got this prompt in advance and I've been thinking about it a lot since then. And I'm, I'm, I really am having a, diff, a lot of difficulty nailing down one specific incident that I feel like is a thing that changed me other than uh, <laughs> the one that I'm, I'm frequently sharing. I'm sure to much people at this point are tired of hearing it. Uh, <laughs> when I was a, a kid, uh, me and my brother loved, like my, most kids our age, loved Saturday morning cartoons. So we, this would have been like, you know, the early 80s. Our favorite was definitely Ghostbusters. And the thing was that I think because we were so little, my mom didn't want to show us the movie because she thought it would scare us. Mm -hmm. uh, and so we weren't aware that it was actually a movie. And so we were at our babysitter's house. I would have been two and a half. My brother would have been uh, four and a half. And she's watching like daytime soaps. And then a commercial for Ghostbusters, the movie comes on. <laughs> and so we, we hear the soundtrack. We see Slimer. We see Stay Puft. We see the proton streams. And we just like go out of our mind. <laughs> Because as far as we were concerned, it was just a cartoon. And the fact that like at, at that age, like you don't you have difficulty differentiating between fantasy and reality to a certain extent. Movies play with that a lot. Yeah. So like the idea that the Ghostbusters could be real was just like the coolest thing in the world to us. Of course, we ran home and uh, told mom, like, you know, you, we have to videotape this. It's coming on Thursday night. It's going to be on TV. Like, you know, we have to stay up for it. We have to watch it. And I remember uh, at least a few people saying, like, there's no way you remember that memory that distinctly from the age of two and a half. And I thought about it for a while. I was like, I don't actually, yeah, maybe, maybe I was older than that. Like, I can't remember. Uh, and so funnily enough, I was actually able to go back many, many years later and look at the schedule for uh, oh. network television in the 80s and discovered that I actually watched the network premiere on, uh, I think it was the NBC Thursday night movie. Wow. Uh, and, and so not only was I able to track specifically the date that I saw Ghostbusters for the first time, I was actually able to find somebody had done a uh, like a melange of the commercial that aired during that screening of it on network television and so you have the just the just the commercials from the the airing of ghostbusters and i started watching that it's like 20 minutes long on youtube and uh, i could like quote those commercials chapter and verse because we taped it off tv and i watched it so many times uh, and so i can definitively say that's like my my earliest crystal clear memory was seeing ghostbusters for the first time and it not only you know affected me in the way that I, I thereafter only wanted to watch like real people and things or whatever. Mm. Like I, I, of course I watched cartoon movies as a kid, but I was always much more drawn to like uh, actual like live action films. And to this day, I don't even really like watching cartoon movies mm -hmm. that much. Uh, it also gave me nightmares for several years. <laughs> Did that impact you liking action figures or physical objects? Toys? Oh, Oh, definitely. Uh, that was a that was a uh, that was a huge part of it. Yeah, um, I, I liked toys a lot as a kid. I owned a lot of like you know secondhand Star Wars toys and stuff like that. But I think yeah, like the big, probably that Christmas or the the Christmas after that, like getting the uh, the plastic proton packs for the Ghostbusters uh, for to the to for the kids to wear. Basically, mm -hmm. yeah, that was a that was a huge moment. Um, and yeah, no, the I I to this day still have a very strong like emotional reaction to like seeing a particularly well-crafted uh action figure and my apartment is littered with them oh uh, really yeah fortunately my fiance doesn't mind the aesthetic yeah because yeah when the cartoon suddenly becomes real and then also you can buy the real thing in the toy store it's just bliss <laughs> yeah definitely
thank you for sharing that. My pleasure. The yeah, the second part to that is if you made the event into a film, which film director would you want to co-direct it with and why? You know, I the the incident seem like feels so circumscribed in my head like it just it feels like it's more of a you know like a commercial than it feels like an actual like movie maybe i mean there's there's any there's any number of people i i would think personally who could do it well but like i feel like somebody who has a experience being that circumscribed would be uh would be an asset in that field so maybe someone like ridley scott or like uh like david fincher but if i was trying to capture the tone of how i think it would best be exhibited i'd actually be more inclined to pick someone like uh like mike nichols the the type of comedy that he can rend from dramedy from drama rather and uh and vice versa would would el- would elegantly capture the tone of like what it felt like and how absurd it was and how silly it was uh <laughs> yeah part of the reason i'm doing this interview is just to get a cool list of directors because i'm not the person who can just name like you but i'm looking at mike nichols now and seeing he did the graduate and can see that human element you're talking about where you just have this epiphany as a kid that's not really a big deal at all, but it feels so huge in the moment. Yeah, yeah. I, would, I, w- I wouldn't want to turn that into like a, you know, like a Michael Bay film or something like that. You know? <laughs> I just, it, it, would, it would be so much, it'd be so much funnier and so much warmer and more personal if, if someone like Mike Nichols was, was there to tackle it. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much, Brian. I only have one more question that's not really part of this prompt, but I was reading your your upset essay about Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I was just wondering for people who don't have a video a local video store, which is I guess 98% of America. Yeah. How do you recommend that they find films that aren't just listed on the major streaming services to like not depend so much on IMDb or Rotten Tomatoes. Cause I certainly do like if it's at three stars or below, or if it's not in the sevens on IMDb, I actually just don't watch it <laughs> and I'd like to change. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that can be, and that's like a, a very difficult part of uh, of attempting to continue to consume media or whatever. Is that uh, they these aggregators and these services are trying to find ways to you know best recommend content for people and figuring out that machines can't do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, there, that doesn't preclude the possibility of that happening in the distant future. I'm sure the, the machines will overtake us and we'll be their slaves. But um, I yeah I. I, I the the personal element is the thing that's missing. You're right. And like, that was the thing that you used to get at the video store was you used to get that personal element of like, you would get to know the clerks, you get to know some of the other customers and they, they'd be able to track your taste and recommend things to you. And they'd tell you whether they liked or disliked them. And then they can just gradually attenuate and figure out a little bit more of your profile, who you are, what you like, what you want to be like, what you want to be challenged by. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just, it's not, it's ha- so much harder to get that without some kind of interpersonal interaction. Uh, and so uh, there are ways that you can do that with like, 
coming up with ways to uh, generate those sorts of conversation with friends or whatever, which could just as easily be like, you know, getting together with a bunch of your friends and saying like, you know, oh, let's go see this movie together. And then like, let's go to like a coffee shop afterwards and talk about it for like, you know, an hour. And then that will ultimately lead into like, you know, somebody doesn't like it because it reminds them of something they've mm. seen before or somebody really loves this element that they feel a certain filmmaker brings to it. And then you can bring up that filmmaker's filmography. It's all really just about like conversation. Mm-hmm. But in terms of like the most basic boiled down short answer I could give you, the place that you get that is Letterboxd. It's a website that's uh, social media specifically around movies. It, it's very much like Goodreads and the fact that like you have friends and you list the books you read and progress that you're making into them and stuff like that. And then you see what your friends are reading and what, what grades they're giving books and stuff like that. Uh, Letterboxd is a giant like holding house of of movies and you create an account on it and then you list you know the movies you've seen you can give them star ratings you can write the date that you you saw it you can write reviews if you just want to write personal opinions like nobody's going to stop you from doing like using it the Mm -hmm. way that you want to you create lists and stuff like that uh and so ultimately by doing that you you're creating your, your sort of digital network of your personal film taste essentially and you know you meet people on there that you know sometimes you know them in person sometimes you just happen to meet on the site you read it like a review and make a comment and then you you know read some of that person's reviews and wonder and start to think like maybe this person is you know kind of a little yeah. bit like me and maybe i would like these movies that everybody else thinks that you know i would hate otherwise um but yeah this the the staff of viva video absolutely swears by it everybody who works here has got a letterboxd account and we actually have one for the store itself too hmm. um which is the the closest thing to a digital inventory the store has. We got the uh, our ancient computer system, which is from 1986, uh, to spit out a list of all the movies that we had uh, in the inventory. And Steph, who does uh, does like library management uh, and works here, was able to turn it into like an Excel an Excel spreadsheet, which we uploaded the letterbox. And so now we have. Uh-huh. Yeah, so now you can browse a little, like almost fifteen thousand of our of our eighteen thousand titles <laughs> wow. on on Letterboxd. Yeah, so, so cool. So, yeah, so that makes things uh, easy for us in that sense, and it does allow us to like, a little bit extend the video store culture beyond this place. That's very cool. I've never heard of it, and it's spelled L E T T E R B O X D. Correct. That's the that's the correct spelling. Thank you so much for listening. I just want to watch all those movies now and become part of the film community, maybe on Letterboxd. It sounds really cool. And once again, if you want to submit your own written answers to this prompt and question, please email your written answers to me at jack, J-A-C-K, at caferibbit.com, and I'll very likely post them on the blog post. If you don't want to do that, just email me or comment on the blog post some of your favorite movies. Okie dokie.